Amen. All right, well, open your Bibles up to the book of Exodus, chapter 19. We have arrived to Mount Sinai. It took us a while. We finally got there. And here in Mount Sinai, we are going to learn how to enter the holy presence of God. Uh, when it comes to Sinai, we've got a picture here of the mountain. Here's an old school picture of it. Sinai was in the middle of nowhere. It was desolate, desert. This is where God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And then Moses came back with a couple million Israelites to start a nation. And then God didn't just speak through a bush. He spoke through a burning mountain. And he taught people how to approach his holy presence. Since we're talking about worship this morning, what it means to worship God in his holy presence, I just need you to understand how important of a topic this is. Worship isn't one reason God made you. Worship is the reason you were born. So who you worship and why you worship and how you worship is the question of your entire life. Worship isn't just one part of what God's doing in your life and in your faith. Worship is the reason God put breath in your lungs today. And it's the reason he may, may put breath in your lungs tomorrow. That's how important it is to learn how to enter God's holy presence. William Temple gave an awesome definition of worship. William Temple said this, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness. Nourishment of mind by His truth. Purifying of imagination by his beauty, opening of the heart to his love, and submission of will to his purpose. What a beautiful definition. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God, all of it. How exciting is that? And as we learn how to enter God's holy presence, we have to realize that we're learning how exactly to worship. We're going to pray, and then we're going to open God's word into Exodus chapter 19. Let's pray together. Father, we know that you are seeking worshipers to worship you in spirit and in truth. This morning, as we open your word, we will learn what it means to approach you, a holy and awesome God, to encounter you so that we would never be the same. We pray that you would lead us through your word and teach us what it means to come into your presence. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Exodus chapter 19 is where we're going to be. Do you have your Bible? Hold up your Bible if you have it. You got it? Never forget your Bible. Always bring your Bible. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, you can turn and offer them, offer them yours. Just be kind. Just be like, here you go. <laughs> All right. Here we are in Exodus chapter 19 at the foot of Sinai. And reading on, here's what it says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. It says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord, listen, called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. 
And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The first principle of worship we see here that you can jot down is this. Invitation. Invitation. Follow God's voice or you will never find him. It says in verse 3, the Lord called to him out of the mountain. God is calling people to his presence. It goes on to say in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, God is speaking to people. And then it says, you shall be my treasured possession. Then it says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words, Moses, these are the words you speak to them. God is speaking. He's calling worshipers to himself. This is an invitation. Follow God's voice or you will never find him. Israel is acting out how every one of us must find God. Israel was far away in a land of bondage and God called them from afar to a new land and God called them into his presence. You must hear God calling you into his presence or you'll never find him. This is how worship begins. God has been calling people to himself since the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were walking around and the Lord was walking in the garden in the cool of the morning and he called out, Adam, Where are you, Adam? And Adam and Eve were trying to play hide-and-seek with God. Not a good idea. And what is God doing? Is God the one? Is God, like, hovering over them? Found you. No, he's calling. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? He's inviting people who have sinned and left his presence, run from his presence. He's inviting them back. And God is inviting you. But if you... Follow his voice, you'll find him. If you don't follow his voice, you'll never find him. There's an invitation. This idea of God calling you to him implies a few things. It implies distance. There is a canyon of separation between you and a holy God. From the moment you're born, you are... Sometimes I hear people say, well, I've always been a Christian. Don't say that. It's not true. You may have always been around Christians, but when you were born, there was a canyon between you and God. Sometimes people say, well, I've always worshipped God. No, you haven't. You've always learned that God has been calling you to worship if you were raised in the church. But until you hear the call, until you respond to the invitation, you are not a worshipper of God. You have to hear the invitation and follow God's voice or you'll never find him. God called Noah to build an ark. God called Abraham to go to a land that he would show him. God has been inviting people into his presence from the very beginning, and he's inviting you to come into his holy presence and to worship. The idea of being far away tells you something about your relationship to God. You live far from God spiritually when you're born, in a land of bondage and slavery and torment. God calling the Israelites out of Egypt through certain death into a land of promise is God showing you your relationship with him. You're far away. You're in slavery. You need to hear the call. And you need to follow his voice if you're going to be saved. The idea of distance is a fundamental concept in your understanding of how to worship a holy God. You are far from him. It's your starting point. Distance is also described here, not in in just the fact that God called his people from afar, 
but he also called Moses up the mountain. So here we have like calling up into God's presence. God is up, you are down. He's calling you up to where he is. Lauren and I went on a retreat earlier this week to Arizona because our new organization of church planting is called the GCC. It used to be called HBF, now it's GCC. All right, follow the uh, letters if you can. Uh, But the GCC is our church planting network. So all the pastors and wives from the organization met for fellowship and prayer and for vision. So we were in Arizona and we decided we'd go hiking up a mountain. It's called Camelback Mountain. So check it out. Here's a picture of the birthday girl up on top of the mountain uh, looking down. And this idea of being up and everyone else being down shows us something about God. He is up. He is high. He is holy. He is perfect and pure and heavenly, and we are not. We are of the earth. Here's another. I got a picture. There's me in a picture everywhere. We walked up to the top together. And look off into the distance. Look at how high up we are and how beautiful and majestic the view is. God called Moses up the mountain. He invited Moses into his presence. The idea of distance is one of the fundamental things you have to know and agree with if you are going to come into God's presence. uh, Another word here is disclosure. The idea of God saying, the earth is mine, all of it, that includes you, is God disclosing himself to us. And we believe the nature of truth is such that if God didn't disclose himself to us, we would never find out the truth about him. Now, our world disagrees with us on this, right? Uh, The Israelites didn't get together at a town hall meeting and say, we're going to go find God. Uh, We're going to go tell Pharaoh we're leaving, and then we're going to just search around until we find the awesome presence of God. That's not the way it happened. They had to be invited. God had to close the distance and disclose himself. That's the only way you and I can find out about a holy God. He has to reveal himself to you. How does he do that? He he does that in many ways, but one way here is through through his message, through his word, right? And, And he's disclosing himself through what he's saying about himself. God has to disclose himself. He is creator. You are created. He is holy. The word holy means set apart from everything created. The word holy means set above everything sinful. He is above all sin. He is apart from all that is physical. He is not like you. But you can be like him. You can be made holy. You were made in the image of God to bear his likeness. But he is something eternal and perfect that you are not. He is God. You are not. He is far from you and you must come close to him. Is there a time in your life when you realize that you don't know God? That you aren't in his presence? That you aren't one of his children yet? Have you come to that realization? And then have you you heard the call to be saved? And have you responded to that by coming near to a holy God? You know, Billy Graham, the Reverend Billy Graham passed away this last week. How sad to see him go, but how happy when we think about the receiving line in heaven that must have been there to thank him. We have a news story here of just one person's life who was impacted by the Reverend Billy Graham's ministry. Check it out. People around the world remembering Reverend Billy Graham, who died today at the age of 99. He was known as the world's most influential preacher of the 20th century, reaching millions of people. He also provided spiritual counsel to almost every president during his adult life. We're talking about everybody from Harry Truman to Barack Obama. Reverend Graham stopped in Rochester in the 1980s, by the way, and Emily Noonan met with someone who was there and whose life was transformed. 
was September 1988. Reverend Billy Graham came to Rochester with this message. Yes, Jesus Christ was tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He's the only one in the history of the world, including Adam and Eve, that ever resisted the devil. More than 12,000 people packed into Silver Stadium to hear Graham. Jesus died on the cross publicly for us. He said, if you're not willing to acknowledge me before men, I'll not acknowledge you before my father. Cindy Capuano, who lives in Greece, was there. I listened for a while, but as he talked and time went on, I just kind of felt my heart pounding. Capuano joined hundreds of people who made their way down to pray with Graham. It was a real heart-changing moment for me. So it just spurred me on to walk forward and um, said a prayer that Jesus was going to now be the Lord of my life. And that truly had changed everything. For Capuano, it all started here. It's certainly not where it ended. She's now sharing her faith with the new generation. We've been doing college ministry. We started at Brockport um, about 15 years ago now. And um, we spread the gospel on campus. We bring students to mission trips, um, retreats, which are going on this weekend with 100 students. She even invited students into her home for Bible studies, no matter how crowded it got. Even her own children have followed this path. One is a pastor at a local church, another is a worship leader, and one is the co-founder of a faith-based nonprofit. As I look at my family, and I know that the path that they've all chosen would have looked so much different had my husband and I not took that step of faith. And um, so we're just blessed, and we give all the glory to, to the Lord, and we're so thankful for Billy Graham and his ministry. Isn't that awesome? Pastor Brandon's mom was saved at a Billy Graham crusade. Isn't that great? Yeah. Pastor Brandon is the senior pastor of Harvest Rochester, and he was here on staff several years before he went out. Wow. Wow. Hey, we know her story now, but do you have a story? Do you have a story of a time when you heard the invitation of a holy God to come from far away into his holy presence? If you think you've always been there, you're still far away, and it's time to listen and follow his voice. Otherwise, you'll never find him. That's number one. God calls people to his presence. Number two, jot this down, reverence. Invitation and reverence. Fear God's wrath or you'll be condemned forever. Reading on here, we see another principle of worship uh, in verse 9. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may believe you, also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Get ready, get ready and get them ready because I'm coming down. Verse 12, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain, listen, shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. Moses, go get them ready. Go get them ready. Draw them near. Draw them near and then tell them to stop. In fact, if they touch the mountain, I 
will kill them. What is God revealing about your relationship to him? Come near, come near, follow my voice, stop right there. Because you can't come, if you, if you touch, if one of your animals touches the mountain, it's dead. If you touch the mountain, I won't even let the people touch you. You'll be put to death. We are learning so much about God through this story. But what he's saying is one crucial principle to worship is reverence. Fear God's wrath or you will be condemned forever. Do you know that you are not welcome in the holy, awesome, righteous presence of God? Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know in your sin, if you just walked up, he would put you away for eternity because you have no business in your sin walking into the holy presence of God? Well, that sounds a little harsh. Why is God being so mean? No, this is loving. He's showing you where you stand with him because of your sin. He's not the problem. Your sin is the problem. And he's graciously revealing the problem to you now before it's too late. And you think you can barge into his heavenly presence and you'll be put away for eternity. People don't preach like this anymore, and so I want to be real clear. When God says to fear him, he means to fear him. And if a preacher has ever taken the edge off of that before, and well, God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. He wants you to be terrified of him. And I'm warning you now of something that can become permanent before your head hits the pillow tonight. You will stand in the awesome, terrifying presence of a holy God. And if you are still in your sin, you will be put away from him for eternity. Permanent. Forever. No second chances. And you need to hear that. If they touch the mountain, they die. If that doesn't engender a sense of reverence and fear in you, I don't know what will. Fear God because you're not fit to enter his presence. God's presence is fatal to sinful people. Fatal. Wow. Now, in order to show this, God provided a weather wonder. I don't know if you've ever been in, the, in a scary weather situation. I've been in a few. I helped my neighbor once when his sump pump went out and his basement was flooding and we were out with lightning and thunder and all that going off and we were bailing buckets and I thought I was going to die. Yeah, I was on a pontoon boat once when a lightning storm broke out and I thought I was going to die. I don't know if you've ever had that. I think I'm going to die weather experience. How many of you have had that before? I was in my office once out in Wheaton, and a, and a tornado went right over the building I was in. It was an F1 tornado, which is a baby tornado. But it was a baby tornado! And tree branches were flying past my window. So, so God uses weather here, if we read on in verse 16, to show people something that's true about him. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. I wonder what that sounded like. Did I get you? I love scaring people. Love it. Pay attention or I'll do it again. I just need to... On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings. I, let's just, we're just going to play some thunder in the background now so that you can kind of get a feeling for what this is like. And remember, the weather, all right, this storm, they were looking at Sinai, and it says there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud coming down the mountain. 
very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. All of them. Shaking. They're all shaking. My dog shakes when the thunder goes, right? But I don't. But all of them were. Terror. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. I would imagine him like, come on, let's go. And they're like, right? You learning about God here? They're terrified. The thing's on fire. The whole mountain is covered in fire. I'm, I'm imagining they can feel it on their face. They are scared that they're going to die. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Now there's an earthquake. You're lucky I can't simulate that. Because I would. In a heartbeat, I'd push that button. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. This is so amazing. And God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What did that feel like? Into the fire. I wouldn't go up. I'd be terrified. Reverence. We have to fear God's wrath. If you don't fear God's wrath, you'll be condemned forever. Fear God because you are not fit to enter his presence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of worship. If you don't fear God's judgment, and if you don't agree that it's coming on you, uh, you haven't read your Bible. You haven't read your Bible. You think because you go year in and year out getting away with your sin and God hasn't smashed you yet that he's okay with it? You think because you haven't been pounded yet for your sin that he's just going to brush it aside on judgment day? There is a huge book waiting for you in heaven with all of your sins. And the way to understand how God will respond to that book is to look into the Bible now before you get a huge surprise when you enter his presence and find out he actually cared about all of your sins. You can be lulled into a false sense of security now because God mercifully doesn't hit you every time you sin. But hear the warning. God filled his word with warnings to show us how he feels, how he feels about our sin. The ground shaking, the mountain smoking and blazing is God's way of saying, here's how I feel about your sin. Here's how I feel. And if you're not afraid of standing in front of God on Judgment Day, I remember reading Steve Jobs' biography, awesome biography from a business perspective, but at the end, when asked if he believes in God, he said, I'm 50-50. Yeah, he's 100% now. And if you're taking that 50-50 mentality before you stand in the awesome presence of a holy God, beware. Reverence. Our nation gets 0% of this. We don't fear God anymore. And we have no excuse. We've heard the story of Noah. God flooded the earth. Men, women, and children dead. Sometimes an atheist or an agnostic will say, well, how can you follow a God if he floods the earth? Right? And sometimes people back down from that question. Like, well, they were, they were all really bad. And they, why, do, why are you apologizing? Why are you apologizing? If someone ever challenges you on a judgment like Sodom and Gomorrah when God turned a volcano upside down and burned everyone in the city to death, here's what you say to them. You've been warned. You've been warned. And when you stand in the presence of God to answer for your sin, please let it be said that you were warned. 
Because you can't stand in his presence and say, why did no one ever tell me that this was about to happen? No, he filled the book with warning after warning. And if you're not filled with reverence, that's your problem, not God's. Fear God's wrath or you'll be condemned forever. We learn here that Sinai was a dead end. Sinai's a dead end. Come close, come close, come close. Now here's my message for you. You cannot come up here. It's kind of bad news. Next week, Moses is going to come down with the Ten Commandments, all right? And if you think that the Ten Commandments was the way that people were going to get up on the mountain, no, no, no. This is ten reasons why you're not coming up here. So walk away. You're not welcome in his presence in your sin, which should create this yearning in, in you. Like, Well, how, how then can I approach a holy God? How can I get into his... The first half of the book of Exodus answers the question... Uh, why do I worship God? And the answer is because he provided a way for you to get saved, to walk from a faraway land into the place of his presence. That's why, because he'll save you. The second half of the book of Exodus answers the question, how do I worship God? How? Okay, he saved me. How do I worship him? And today it's fashionable to be like, well, I can worship anyone I want and I can worship however I want. Uh, Read your Bible. God must show you how to worship God. The whole of the book of Exodus uh, answers the question, who do I worship? Why do I worship? How do I worship? Who do I worship? Exodus deals with that question. Number one is invitation. You must hear the call or you'll never find him. Number two is reverence. You must fear God's wrath or you'll be condemned forever. Number three, jot this down, mediation. Mediation. You can't walk into God's presence without someone to help you. Moses here is the mediator. If you look at verse 20, it says, The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. One guy goes up. That's it. For now. He goes up. He comes down. Moses is foreshadowing what Jesus alone can do for you. You see one man going into the presence and coming back with a message of hope. What Moses would come back with is... First of all, the reason why no one's allowed in God's presence, that's the Ten Commandments, but then he came down with a plan to build what's called the tabernacle. That's a tent of of where God would dwell, where God's people could meet with him without dying. So one man goes up and comes back down with a message of hope that will allow God's people to enter God's presence and worship him. That's pre-enacting Christ. Only Christ wouldn't come down from Sinai. Christ would come down from where? From, From heaven. Christ would come down from heaven with a message of hope showing you how you can approach a holy God's presence. Do you see how Moses is acting out? Jesus. Mediation is the principle. The idea is someone has to bring you to God. Jot this down. Listen to his son and you will find the way to heaven. A mediator is required. The idea of a mediator is insulting to the modern individualistic ethic. We believe that everyone's the same and no one's better than anyone else and who are you to tell me what to believe? And uh, people act like they can just, first of all, define God any way they want. Second, worship him or not worship him however they want. And third, uh, and third, make sure their view is viewed as equal with every single other view on the planet. And that's a bunch of nonsense. That's a bunch of nonsense. You can't enter God's presence without someone to bridge the gap for you. The thought that you need someone else today in our world, people would be like, 
What makes him so special? Why do I, I can believe what I want. God and I have been good forever. You don't, people don't think they need a mediator, but we do. We'll put the verses on the screen, but the book of Hebrews unpacks what it means to have Jesus as our mediator. It says in Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter, get this, the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's a lot here, but here's what I want you to see. We have confidence to enter the holy presence of God. How? By Jesus' blood. Jesus opened what Hebrews says is a new way. Sinai, dead end. Moses, he comes down and says, you can't go up there. Jesus, he comes down and welcomes you up into the holy presence of God. Not the earthly presence of God. The holy presence of God. And only he can mediate and get you access because he died for your sins. You can't get to God unless you come to Jesus first. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mediation is a key principle to understand how we worship. Jesus opened up the way so that you could encounter God's presence. Now, I'm sure there are some sitting in this room who disagree with me. And you're saying, why do I need Jesus? I can believe this or I can believe that. And who are you to tell, you know, all those Hindus that they're wrong? And listen, here's what I would say to you. If you don't agree with God's word that there is a gaping chasm between you and a holy God, you haven't faced the depth of your sin. You haven't faced the depth of your sin. And you, can, you have two choices. You can face the depth of your sin here in this life while there's still time. Or you can go on into the next life where there will be an unabridged judgment of everything you've done in this life. And if you disagree with any point of what's written in your book, I'm sure the angels can just bring it up. All right, bring up, you know, age 15, uh, you know, March 5th on the screen. Bring that up. Okay, see, see where you did that? You want another camera angle? Go to camera two. Okay. You got that? Now let's move on to item number 5,396,201. All right, there will be an unabridged fair judgment of everything you've done coming. You can face the depth of your own sin now, or it will be forced upon you in the next life. But if you don't agree that there's a chasm of separation between you and a holy God, you haven't faced the true depth of your sin. And you haven't agreed with God's word on the holy nature of God. You haven't agreed that he is so holy and perfect that he can't have sin in his presence. And you also haven't understood the treasure that God has extended to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're despising his great gift that he would give his only son who took three nails for you on the cross and died an agonizing death to pay your penalty. You are disgracing that gift. And I would just challenge you that if you don't understand that you need mediation... Maybe today's the day that God's making that clear to you. Number one is invitation. Follow God's voice or you'll never find him. Number two, reverence. Fear God's wrath or you'll be condemned forever. Number three, mediation. Listen to his son and you'll find the way to heaven. And number four, consecration. The idea of consecration comes up a few times here. It means to be washed. Repent and be washed clean. Jot that down. Repent and be washed clean. Back in Exodus, this idea comes up all over. 
But it says in verse 21, The Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves. There's the word. Lest the Lord break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. The idea here of consecration means washing. means washing. said in verse 14, Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. What do we learn about worship here? It means if you are going to enter the holy presence of God, you must be washed of all of your sin. This is a portrayal of repentance, you turning from your sin, and God washing you clean. Now, the uh, Jews got really hung up in the externals, so you know they, they would criticize people who didn't get ceremonially clean before they came to the temple. But what they missed is that all the external washing of the body and of the, the garments was meant to teach them an internal lesson about their soul. Jesus said, you know, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, yeah, yeah, you wash the outside, but on the inside, you're a tomb of dead men's bones. He said, what good is it to wash the outside of the cup? Just try that when you have a dinner party, when people come over for the holidays, only wash the outside of your dishes. And then sat, I mean, for a year, okay, and then just sat your filthy dishes in front of the people and then teach them a spiritual lesson. Hey, have you been washed on the inside or just the outside? External legalistic righteousness only gets the outside clean, right? The inside must be washed. So the point is, you must be washed on the inside. This portrays you repenting and God cleansing your sins through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. This idea is the idea of consecration. You must repent and be washed clean. It's insulting if you were to just walk up to somebody who's not a Christian and say, your soul stinks. I don't think they would feel loved. You were like, you need a wash inside. I I don't think that would make them feel warm. This is what the Bible's saying, though. Our starting point is we're filthy. And I don't know your story, but oftentimes people were raised in the church and they went to some form of religious ad and they have this assumption like, well, when I was born, you know, my parents baptized me, so I was good. Then I kind of went to religious ed, so I was good. And then I made some profession of faith or confirmation, so I'm good. And I think I'm still kind of good. And maybe that's you. That was me. Um, But I'm here to tell you that God's word says from the moment you were born, your soul was pitch black. You were not good with God. You were not good with him. You've never been good with him. You're dirty. Your soul is filled with sin. And you better come into his presence And repent so that you can be washed clean or you don't have any hope of becoming a worshiper of the one true God. Know your starting point or you won't know what God is challenging you to do. When it comes to being washed, being born again, uh, uh, sometimes people get this wrong. One woman once said to me, oh yeah, I pray all the time. And I said, no, you don't understand. Being born again happens one time in your life. Uh, I said, imagine if after the end of a week, God gave you a book that had all of your sins in it. A book, you know, like your words, your deeds, your emotions, your choices, what you didn't do. All your sins. It would be about a book after a week. 
you know, your thoughts are all in there. And then imagine if after a month you've got like a bookshelf and then after a year you've got a small library and then after 20 years you've got a warehouse. And she said to me, God wants to forgive my warehouse. I said, bingo. See, if you're just confessing a few sins here and there, that's less than what God wants from you. Oh God, forgive page 5, paragraph 3, and page 10, paragraph 1. And no, you're not going to get it all done. You have to ask God to forgive all of it. All of it. And in doing so, you have to admit that you are sinful and broken beyond repair. You need to be totally washed. That's what it means to be consecrated. Have you repented of all of your sin and asked Jesus to wash you? so that though you were as red as crimson, you can be white as snow. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to become a worshiper of the one true God. If you look at Hebrews, we'll put it on the screen, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, gives us an amazing poetic comparison. No one got up Sinai except a handful, and they were scared to death. You weren't meant to try and get up Sinai. You weren't meant to be like, I'm going to keep those Ten Commandments, and I'm going to get up that mountain. No! You won't. You need a better way. That better way is revealed in the Lord Jesus. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, it compares two mountains. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I I tremble with fear. What mountain is that? That's Sinai. The Bible in the New Testament says you haven't come to that mountain. That way is shut. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Where's that? The heavenly Jerusalem. This is heaven. Heaven's now depicted as a city, a beautiful city on a mountain. And you've come to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Wow, listen to this description. Imagine you in heaven, a city surrounded by angels who are in in joy. They're having a banquet and the people around you have all been made perfect. How? How? It says in verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That's how. To the sprinkled blood, that's Christ's blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Meaning a reversal of all, all of the sin of the world. Jesus' blood reversed it. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Jesus is the new mediator who brings us to a new mountain. Not a mountain that's off limits, but a mountain that we are welcomed up. A heavenly mountain where we can be in the presence of God, surrounded by angels, even though he's the judge, we're made perfect forever. Do you see what Jesus is offering you? Do you see that? And then there's a warning, because some people think that they're just going to go up that mountain. See that you don't refuse him who is speaking. You need Jesus or you're not getting up there. It says in verse 26, at that time, meaning Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Want to know what's scarier than standing in front of a mountain of God's presence where the ground is shaking underneath you? Want to know what's even scarier than that? Standing in God's heavenly throne room 
and everything's shaking and you're terrified and you're not good with him. Worst day. Worst day for you. And it's coming. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable, here's our word of the day, worship. With reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Oh, you may not see it. You might not be standing in front of a mountain that's on fire with lightning, but it's here. Right now, it's here. That's the God who is calling you to his presence. And it should evoke within you a sense of, First, invitation. He's inviting me. Second, reverence. I'm terrified because I don't belong in his holy presence. Third, mediation. Who will help me? The Lord Jesus Christ. And fourth, consecration. Getting rid of the sin. Getting rid of the sin. Getting saved. And then recognizing every week we're called into his holy presence. He's a consuming fire. You're called out of bed every week into his presence. And you shouldn't just stroll in here in your sin. Stroll in here nonchalantly, casually, carelessly, without a plan. Empty-handed. Cold-hearted. Not singing. You're approaching God in this room. And he's a holy fire. Wow. The good news is we have been invited up the heavenly mountain, to dwell with the Lord forever. The good news is Jesus alone can get us there. The good news is if you feel like you are not in a right relationship with God, you can reach out and take hold of the free gift of eternal life right here, right now. I want to give you a chance right now to respond to the message in prayer. I want to give you a chance to perhaps for the first time become a worshiper of a holy and awesome God, admitting the truth about your need and trusting Jesus as your Savior. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads and let me give you a chance right now in the presence of God to respond to his word and to receive his gift. Let's pray right now. Father, I know that there are some in this room who came to church today not right with you and they know it and your spirit is pounding on their hearts right now telling them today is the day. Don't harden your heart. Father, I bring a message of hope from your word. Lord, I pray that they would receive Jesus Christ as Savior because he died on the cross for them to take away their sin. Anyone here right now in their own heart can pray with me and receive the assurance found in Scripture that they will go to heaven. You can pray this right now in your heart by saying this, Father in heaven, forgive me for I have sinned. I've broken your law. I'm unworthy of your presence. But I believe in Jesus, the priest, the mediator, the only one who can take away my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, I repent, promise me heaven. Give me assurance to know I will be with you forever. Jesus, I pray that you, by the Spirit, would save, would call the dead to life right here. And as they cry out to you, may they receive the assurance that you will never leave them, you will never forsake them. And our prayer is that these people would come and go public soon, being baptized, showing others that you have done a wonderful thing to them. You have washed them, and they are clean. You have made them perfect, and they will dwell in your kingdom forever. Thank you, Jesus, our mediator, our high priest, for coming down to rescue us. Thank you for going to prepare a place for us. We can't wait to be with you forever. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.